0: with Mike Diamond, everyone. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited for you to be here. Um, I just want to let everyone know that I went to a um, a, a panel, I guess is what it was, um, at the really fancy Soho House. And it was on mental health. And you just took control of that panel <laughs> and you answered all the right questions and my friend Ivana was there with me um, and we went there because we like to see all the different panels kind of all over whenever we can when it's based on mental health. Um, I've been on a bunch of panels, but it's also kind of new for me, this this mental health um, community, if you will, and you really stood out because you got to the point of it being mental health and it being more about working on yourself within than just the positive affirmations. And I had a lot of problems where we were talking earlier that I have very much an anger issue. And I was just burning inside of frustration when one of the panelists said, yes, I just put my positive affirmations on the mirror. And when I wake up in the morning and I brush my teeth and I say, you are great, I'm grateful. And My whole thing was, I'm fucking bipolar. I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. I can tell my brain multiple times, you're beautiful. You should be grateful for having a mother. You should be grateful for all of your work. But that chemical imbalance tricks me. And I thought it was very... I'm not going to say terrible. I think that it's a tricky situation when you speak on mental health panels for people who have mental health or who are dealing with mental health. I'm rambling on like this. I'm so sorry. But I just want to get this point across because I think you did it so, so well. When you don't acknowledge that people have specific issues with their brain and you treat it kind of like a, a childlike thing. Oh, well, just be happy and be positive. That's not realistic. That's not how you fix things. That's not how you train your brain. Um, and I read your book because after you spoke, I just was so blown away. Um, and it was, like I said, an easy read in the best possible way. I did it in one day. I was just so intrigued. I couldn't put it down. And I just want everyone to kind of hear a little bit behind you because you seem to handle shit correctly when it comes to mental health. And that's my spiel. No,
1: it's good. No, I I like – well, it's like self-actualization. Maslow was the first to talk about, Abraham Maslow. And the self-actualization is is a human being that reaches their full potential. Mm -hmm. Okay? So – when we look at just anyone, we're, we're all, everyone's saying the same stuff, right? But if you look back, it's either East or West. If you go to the East, you're talking Buddha,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Confucius, Latsu. If you're talking the West, you're talking the great Stoics. You know, if you look at cognitive therapy, that's all off Socratic questioning, mm-hmm. right? So we're all trying to find happiness and we're all trying to reach our full potential while we're here. Mm hmm. Okay, so we've come from nowhere. We're here now, and we go right. So when people tap into this, uh, you know, let's just say affirmations, it's not realistic. And I'll tell you why. The first seven years of your life, your brain is in a theta brainwave. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm not responsible for the first seven years, and you're not. Right. We're not.
0: Right. Because
1: right. our environment and what we're surrounded with we are then, our subconscious mind is going to be programmed. Mm -hmm. Now, genetically, you and I have inherited certain things, Mm -hmm. whether we like it or not.
0: (laughs) Shit's there. Right?
1: (laughs) Through my family history, there's chronic alcoholism, bipolar, schizophrenia. There's a massive gene that runs through it. The irony is, I have, there's, Greek, Italian, Middle Eastern, you know, we always name our kids Michael or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. My younger cousin's 10 years younger than me. I'm here. And then my older cousin's 10 years. Mm-hmm. Now, both of them am in, am in mental institutions. Wow. Both my grandfathers died of alcoholism. No one looks at mental health in my family. So I grew up in the most isolated capital city in the world, Perth, Western Australia. Mm-hmm. And I had an older brother. Um, Sorry, I've got an older brother, younger brother, and a younger sister. My older brother at seven got uh, sick with measles encephalitis, which he went into a coma. Yeah, he got really sick. My little sister was 13 weeks premature. So I had to be, if you look at Bradshaw, who's one of the best in the dysfunctional family system, Mm -hmm. I was like the hero scapegoat. Now, you add in, I'm undiagnosed dyslexic when I was a kid.
0: Which I think I, I really, we'll get back to that. I would love for you to speak on yeah. that more, but please continue. So <laughs> yeah.
1: undiagnosed dyslexic, OCD, ADHD. No one picked it up as a kid, and I was a super athlete. Mm. But unfortunately, both my parents. Usually, you have maybe the mother or the father. I didn't get I didn't get love from either of them. I just got beatings. Yeah. But now, fast forward. The great thing is, it's taught me to be compassionate, emotionally intelligent, and self reliant. Mm-hmm. Because I never had it, I was always in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Right. So it was always like, what's going to happen next? Because they didn't have the ability to look at me and say, well, here's his own person. The, the, there's, a, there's a gene running through the family, right? But no one else got the alcoholic gene but me.
0: It, that's, now, that's crazy to yeah. me.
1: I got it full on. How's this? My grandmother was so messed up that at 4 years old got me so drunk on red wine i nearly died of alcohol poisoning stop seriously and just check this out you know what she said her defense was well he was taking the alcohol off me i was four so when i went back to australia and saw my little <laughs> brother i said is it okay if mum and dad get my nephew who's four drunk they're like no we'd, we'd put him in prison i go hold on but you didn't Why was it a joke me? when it happened right. to me Right, but you know what's ironic? Why, at four years old, when I got drunk, what did I keep drinking? Hmm. Because I had the gene. Right. So if you fast forward through my life, you know when people, I didn't know I was dyslexic till one day I was collaborating on a film script with a friend, and he said to me, "Oh, dude, you're dyslexic." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Oh, I can understand what you're saying when you're writing, but your punctuation's this." So I called my sister and said, "Oh, you know, I'm dyslexic." Two years ago, she was struggling. She works really hard. Great athlete. And she's like, I want to go back to college, but I'm having trouble. I said, you're probably dyslexic. No, I'm not. Got all these tests. Dyslexic.
0: Yeah. How old were you when you found out you were dyslexic? Uh,
1: I was... So I'm... I'll be 14 years sober in April. I was 10 years sober. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because I didn't... I just... I. I've taught myself to read. Just,
0: were you just the, uh, when you taught yourself to read, were then you a slow reader?
1: Yeah, horrible. Oh, you know what? This is the best thing. You know how kids now go, oh my God, the teacher. So I, at fourth grade, the teacher would pull me out in front of the whole class and make me read in front of everyone and thinking that would help me. Right, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. And, just a, just, an and everyone would laugh at me and right. abuse me. He's right. retarded. Right, and, right.
0: right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So
1: then what you do is you carry that trauma and <laughs> you want to kill everyone. Yeah. yeah. You know. Were you
0: a really angry child?
1: This is really weird. I had so much suppressed anger because I wasn't a big. Kid. I was a super athlete, but uh-huh. I wasn't big. But I was tough, tough right. as nails, like really, like resilient. Like if the I set my mind to baby. it, yeah, I was no yeah. joke. Like, I, and I had this incredible. You know what? One thing I had, and I that, and I try to coach people on is that I could think greater than my environment. I had this weird thing in my brain that. If I saw someone do it, I could go. Oh, I could do that, and I just would just. And Which I, is
0: fantastic for you to have, and
1: that's what got me yeah. out of Perth. Yeah, because I always said I'm going to America, mm-hmm. and that's why I tell you the story of the green card when I won the green card. Yeah, I I I knew law of attraction back then. I didn't know what was law of attraction. I just could see. I'm like I could be there. Right, you knew. Yeah, and my intuition was really good as a young kid. Like, I could feel it. If I felt it, I just went with it. I didn't question it.
0: Right, you just went.
1: No, and and I think...
0: It's kind of like how Jim Carrey, you know, how he put the... Wrote the, the money. The money in I've his done pocket. stuff like that,
1: and it works.
0: And that's what I'm saying. Like, that law of attraction... Yes, it works. ...makes sense to me. That's the kind of affirmation that I believe in, well, right? Tell it's you- like... Which I guess is not an affirmation, but that's what I have respect for. Right, is putting out the intent, putting it out to the universe what you want. Yes, and and knowing that that's going to happen. Yes, but you don't need to, you know, tell yourself over and over, "I'm this." Well, this I'm is this. where
1: the, I was going back to that. So this is where it doesn't work. So if you now, so you're in a theta brainwave, your environment messes you up. You go around through life, and so you you say all this shit to yourself, but your programming's messed up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So you right. self sabotage yourself because when you, there's a difference between saying, oh, I believe it, I believe it, and knowing it in your soul. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: A tiger doesn't go to jungle school. Right. They right. know they're a tiger. Right. That's why people Although freak out. It would be out.
0: really funny if they went to a tiger right. school. Right.
1: But you <laughs> know when, when people freak out when a tiger messes someone up? They're right. like, it's a tiger.
0: Right, right. You know? Right. right.
1: It's a killer whale. You put him For in a cage. Reason. Right. Eventually he's going to kill something. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is, You know, if you know something in your soul, where we get confused is then the information around us starts getting us all off track. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Right. So when someone says you do affirmations. Now, the theta brainwave is when your brain is ready to be programmed. Mm -hmm. So you've got this programming and you're like, all right, how do I hack my brain? Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you wake up in the morning, as soon as you get up you're going from gamma, delta into theta. Mm-hmm. So that's why they say if you meditate in the morning and you do a little bit of affirmation work when you're just waking up mm-hmm. or if you're meditating, because right now our brainwaves are in a beta brainwave. Right. So consciously, whatever I say, you, you're getting. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's going to get into your subconscious.
2: No.
1: Right? Mm-mm. So if you go into the theta brainwave... You can then put in suggestions. Right now, if you want to go really deep into the law of attraction, it it's like attracts like. So up into this point, right this second, you've manifested your reality. Right, whether you like it or not,
0: yeah, it's been out of my hands. But that's you, for you know sure. what I'm yeah. saying.
1: So when people say law of attraction, you say like attracts like, and there's all these people like Abraham Hicks and The Secret. What they don't realize is if, if you say in your soul, Mm -hmm. you want something, right? The reticular activating system of the brain is the net. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I say to you, like, if you say, I want a red car and you see red cars everywhere because what you focus on has to expand. Mm -hmm. So if you are negative, the ripple effect is everything's bad. So you get in your car, right? You get in an argument. You, that ripple effect is the person cut me off. Uh, this is too expensive. That is too expensive. This doesn't work. You see what I'm saying? So yep. you're attracting all the time and you're manifesting you're all manifesting the time. You're manifesting
0: all the negative energy. Everything.
1: Yeah. So if you flip it and you say, okay, I want to attract abundance, right? And I want to attract wealth and I want to do these things. You, you've got to get in deeper than just the superficial talking about it. Right. And you can only do that when you tap into your pineal gland. Okay. So the pineal. So gland how do we tap is, into well, this? That's the <laughs> antenna to the superconscience. Okay. Now, melatonin spikes between one and four in the morning.
0: Why why one and four?
1: That's what the brain does. What that's if I the,
0: don't sleep until two?
1: Well, that's when melatonin spikes. Oh, it's called <laughs> the circadic rhythms, you know what I mean? Right. So right. Yeah, yeah. now Joe Dispense is a really big guy on this and he's great on it. So I get up around three forty five, four in the morning.
0: Just naturally or that is what That's where I get up now. Right. Okay.
1: I do a meditation that early in the morning because I know melatonin spiking Mm. and my pineal gland is going to be more receptive to what they call source energy. Now, when people do ayahuasca Uh and people do DMT, what are they doing? They're opening up their pineal gland. Right. Right. So right now I'm looking at you. Two-dimension eyes. But my third eye is the pineal gland. Mm -hmm. It's been talked about since the Egyptians or whatever. You see the pineal, the third eye, because it's a pine, a little pine-shaped thing in the middle here. Right. That is connected to infinite intelligence. Infinite intelligence is what Napoleon Hill talked about in Think and Grow Rich. Mm -hmm. Okay? So there is an intelligence that moves the universe around. Right? Mm -hmm. That we can tap into. So when people say they're extraordinary, they're not extraordinary. They're just tapping into superconscious source energy, and all that stuff. Right
0: now, is there a way to tap into that when it' not being three forty five? Yes, you have to
1: decalcify the pineal gland. So you have to cut out all fluoride in your diet. Right, all fluoride, all fluoride. You've got to do. I don't use uh, fluoride toothpaste.
0: Yeah, I don't either anymore. You
1: need to uh, do high alkaline waters. Mm-hmm. You need to do you need to fast, do mm-hmm. a lot of fasting. Like when I ran the 30 half marathons, I ran that fasted.
0: Which like hands down because oh, I nice. can't run around the block. My <laughs> knees are so bad. <laughs> so, like wow, that was cool. Um but and you had a condition. Uh, I have on top colitis,
1: of it, ulcerated colitis, and
0: had to wear a diaper.
1: Yes, and yeah. I have and still I have a hernia. I have got to get operation. I had the hernia as well when I ran.
0: And now you do not believe in medication.
1: I don't. I don't take any medication.
0: So here's a question that I have for you. Go. So I'm bipolar, right? Mm-hmm. And I know what it's like to be wrongly medicated. Yeah. I don't really believe in medication in the grand scheme of life. I don't really believe. I mean. Let me say this. I speak for myself. What I... For my body, I do not believe in certain medications. That's just personally for me. I cannot do a sleeping pill because I know that becomes an addiction for me because addiction runs in my family. And I've been lucky enough where... I'm addicted to food and other certain things, but alcohol, I think, well, like you, my father used to allow me to have Budweiser when I was five years old, and that's on <laughs> camera, um, and my mother did not know that, and maybe that is why they're divorced, but um, but I, I never had um, a craving for it, it never was in me, but I do, ha- I'm in a dry alcoholic, as my boyfriend calls me, that's what I am, a dry alcoholic, so I have to obviously work through the steps and do my own kind of work there, but I know what it was like to be wrongly medicated. When I was 15, I was put on antidepressants because they thought I was depressed. They didn't realize I was bipolar, even though it was all on my father's side. But no one wanted to acknowledge mental health on his side. Um, and I tried to kill myself by driving off Moholland. And while it was very glamorous and seemed great, I was completely embarrassed. And I didn't tell anyone that that was the problem, even in my family. I just said, oh, shit, I must have hit a rock and it went the wrong way. And I couldn't even face it myself until I got older. I was not a suicidal person. Yes, I had manic episodes and I was an angry person and I felt that 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 rage inside me that's not an anger management rage from it's what different. I've been told. It's very yeah. different. It's this explosiveness. Um, so I refused to be on medication. Um, and then... Throughout the years, when I was 21, I was – 22, I was properly diagnosed by an acupuncturist for being um, bipolar because he had seen it in all of his clients before and he said, you know, you're an actress. This is very easy for me to see this. I don't know why no one's ever told you this. So now I have been on Lamictal. I've been on my bipolar medication. I sometimes will lower my dosage, you know, go a little bit higher. But I'm very safe about it, going to the doctor, making sure, doing it if I – You know, go higher. It's by 15 milligrams. You know, I'm really, really careful. But what you know, people that are bipolar, Mm -hmm. do you think that there is a way to not be on the medication for it?
1: I think the best guy in the business right now is Dr. Amon. Okay. Um, He does a spec scan of the brain. Okay. So he will look at the brain and study the brain and do a full spec scan. And then he will then determine... Exactly how much medication the person needs, but also how many natural supplements. Mm, mm -hmm. So, when he deals with someone, say, that has bipolar or something to do with, uh, you know, just not the right, say, say there's stuff in the hippocampus or, you know, there's a flaring in the amygdala, Mm -hmm. like he will look at it and say, okay, what I'm going to do is say, I'm just giving an example. I'll Mm -hmm. give you. Uh, a little bit of Prozac, but I will give you a certain amount of St. John's wort. And uh-huh. what he tries to do is give you a little med and then give you a little uh, natural supplements so they they work together. So eventually mm-hmm. you're off the medication. Mm-hmm. So he uses the medication to slow things down because any kind of, like for example, when, I, when my appendix burst and I went right. into septic shock, right. when you're dealing with massive infections, Right. You know, I'm not some crazy uh, monk that can, you know, use my mind matter connection and get rid of infections. Right. I had had septic shock. So they're going to give me antibiotics, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Now, once I took the antibiotics, um, they gave me a choice. They said, we're taking your colon out. I'm like, you can't. I want to have a colon. Mm -hmm. So they were like, well, you got to heal yourself then. And in six weeks... You know what I mean? Now, I refuse to go on prednisone because it makes me crazy, Mm -hmm. like roid rages. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really help me with my colitis. I just took the antibiotics and I took no colitis Mm -hmm. medicine. And they wanted to give me all the colitis pills. I'm like, I can't take them. They don't make me feel good. Right. So I had to strip my diet down completely. Right. I was just taking in liquids. An hour and a half, two hours of meditation a day. I mean, I had full stomach surgery. I lost seven inches off my intestines. Um, I had an abscess, which was on my intestines that burst my appendix. So they chopped up the abscess and the uh, part of my intestines. And they said, you'll never run again. You'll never be the same person again. You're kind of done. And because your ulcerative colitis is so bad and the infections are so bad, you know, there's you're gonna end up with with colon cancer mm-hmm. if we don't take it out. And I'm like, yeah, I don't agree with you. I think I can do this work spiritually and heal myself, mm-hmm. but that means I had to do so much work with my diet and my breath work because remember, the stomach is a second gut, yeah, and serotonin's in the belly, right. right? So I can't. I literally had to believe deep down. That I could do this. There was no doubt I could do it, but then I had, to, I couldn't be like, yeah, no, no, I knew I could do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't just say, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to get healthy. Right, right, right. No, no. This no, is beyond no. this. I was really sick. I lost 50 pounds. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> So I believe, and I
0: know the pain. I had appendicitis, Dude, so I know like, that that's the worst pain. I had
1: appendicitis for. I didn't realize I had it for three days.
0: I had it for two, and they said that if yeah. I didn't go into the hospital and they didn't take it out immediately, that it literally would have burst at any moment. And they go, "How were you not okay?" And i have such a high pain tolerance yeah. that for me, I was like, "Well, it was it was terrible," but I figured, "Oh, you know, it must have been something else." I you thought know? it was
1: my colitis pain. A guy drove from Barstow because no doctor. Oh, they gave me a CT scan. And my stomach was so bad, they're like, oh, he's done. So a guy drove from Boston. This is the rest <laughs> this, this is the truth. My wife comes in. It's my birthday, June 14th. She tells me we're having a baby boy. Oh. I go to the gym workout. I was like, oh, my stomach's sore today. It's my colitis. Right. I sleep on the couch because I didn't want to wake her up because yeah, she yeah, was yeah. pregnant. She comes downstairs. And look, this, I'm be graphic, but... When you're flaring with colitis or Crohn's, you have diarrhea. Right. So I went to the toilet and I was like, oh, oh, oh no, this is not good. I don't have diarrhea. So she came downstairs and said, look, I don't want to freak you out. Just take me to the ER, drop me off. But my stomach's, something's happened. I think it's my appendix or my gallbladder. I said, give me a CT scan. They gave me a CT scan. She goes, oh my God, your appendix burst, you're in septic shock. My (sighs) best friend drives from Orange County to see me. A doctor pulls up two hours later from Barstow, and just literally says, yeah, 50-50. My wife's like, what? And he goes, what? yeah, you're you're gonna you're pretty much fucked. Like, uh, you might die. And then he goes, do you want to say a prayer? And I'm like, dude, just Thanks. get me through the surgery. <laughs> and then that was the guy that I said, no, I don't touch my colon.
0: Did you go under for the surgery? Yeah, I had
1: to. I, right. was, I was a mess. So
0: you're not like those people that no, are no, like, we no, are no, so no, against no, medicine, no, we're no, not going to no. go
1: No, under. no, no, no. No, I just like to take, look, if... You know, I've never had a spec scan with my brain, but, you know, I've had all the dyslexic tests, right? the ADD tests. I mean, I've never, I mean, I probably should go to Dr. Amy and get some specs just to see, but yeah. I... You know. I, I know. You I, know. No, no, I... Dude, I...
0: <laughs> you've done the work.
1: Yeah, but I look at it like this. I feel that you, as a human being, you should, you've got to trust your gut. Mm-hmm. And you've got to slow everything down because if you're ever in fight, flight, or freeze, you're in a situation where you're threatened in some way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You yep. lose, you know what I mean? Yep. You, you, there's got to be a, a, an attack on your personal security, whether it's physically attacking, whether it's financial. So you're not present. And if you're not present, you're not with your source, mm-hmm. right? So right. you've got to slow down, slow down the breathing diaphragmatically and sit and be quiet and ask. Mm-hmm. And if you ask, that's the law of attraction. Yeah. You'll get a crumb. You'll get something. Something will pop up. Someone will call you out of the blue, or you'll feel I need to do this. I mm-hmm. need. I got to go on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll tell you a crazy story. So a friend of mine called me, and she said, "My mom has been diagnosed with a rare melanonin melanoma in her in her bum." Right? Okay. So she was. They. She literally. The doctor says to her get hospice, you're dead in three weeks. She calls me freaking out. I'm like, "Well, oh, okay, don't get hospice. Give me a chance to look at this. So I said, just give me six hours because they're friends. And Wait. I just got on the computer and started researching and I looked it up. It's like stage four melanoma. It's very rare. So there was a place at UCLA. So I'm like, I'll cold call them. So I found the doctor that deals specifically with this four-stage four mm-hmm. cancer. And I said to her, look, I'm just going to cold call this person until they call me back. Don't freak out. She's like, well, said, don't, don't, don't get a hospice. Something can happen. Right. She said, the doctor said that we're 1%. I said, hold on. Think about this. If you owned 1% of a $7.5 billion company, you'd be okay. Yeah. 1% is good yeah, odds. Right. Okay. And that's just it's an opinion. That's great odds. That's just an opinion. You've got to switch your mentality. So I cold called this one place uh, 20 times left twenty messages like, i got to get in touch with you, please call, me, please call me, please call me, please call me, please call me And the lady called me back. She's wow. like, you know, I'm so sorry and it took like two days and she said, What do you know? I said, here's the deal. They said she's gonna die. I looked up the guy that I'm dealing you're dealing with. Can we get in to see him? So I put it over to the family and they they found out that their insurance didn't cover it. But he said, No, no, don't worry. I have someone else that will cover you in insurance He's like me. We're in the same field. We take massive risks. Mm -hmm. This is what we do. So we met him him and went in and met with him. And I got the whole family around. And I said, you've got to pray and meditate. You have to be positive. You have to put it out that she can heal, that this can work. If you're negative in any way in a frequency, it's not going to work. You've got to be convinced. You've got to be convinced. So we went in, they said it'll be a 16-week protocol. They had to give her a bunch of experimental stuff. I said, give it to him. She doesn't care. I mean, the other guy said, hospice, you're dead. Right. 16 weeks later, into remission. Wow. Saved her life. She's healthy now. Wow. Yep, she'd be dead right now. One opinion. And all I said is, let's just call these people and do some research.
0: God, it is so... People do not understand how important it is to have multiple opinions. you just got to try. I – it's can't just so take... weird that you're telling me this because we're literally – we just went through this with my uncle where they they were so discouraging and it was this one doctor and he was just – it was so negative and so cut and dry and my mom did the research. And this is all the way in Illinois, you know, and she found him a doctor in St. Louis and was like, this is the guy who's the specialist and you're going to go to him and this is what – and it took that one person who was the risk taker, right, to save him.
1: Think about this. If my appendix – if when my appendix burst – if I took that mentality, like victim mentality, yeah, I'm not saying people are victims, but I'm just saying if I take the mentality like, he's right, take my colon out, I'm broken, right? Right. Then I wouldn't have healed myself. I started. I've ne- I never ran a half marathon in my life <laughs> until my appendix burst because he pissed me off so much and yeah. said you'll never run again. And then my ba- baby comes 12, uh, seven weeks premature. Aww. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go out and run. And I got inspired by a woman that ran 100 miles. I was watching her run 100 miles <gasps> on a documentary. I'm like, how the hell did she do that? And you know what the best thing was? And I always go for a reference. So if someone's done something that's ex- that seems kind of extraordinary, mm-hmm. right? I look at it, well, is it extraordinary or there's ordinary and you do a little extra, you look extraordinary. So I go... Where did she start from? I always look at some where they started from, and then I look at the journey. So I go right to the beginning. And they said she couldn't run a 5K. She was this. I'm like, okay, if she couldn't run a 5K, I know I can run a 5K with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. That means I can run. Right. Because I, I, I was a sprinter as a kid, but long distance is different mm-hmm. to sprinting. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go start running half marathons. And then what happened, I found a little girl, Layla, to raise money for when they said the world record was 18, I said, I'll do 30. I'll do the whole month. And I got the hernia in training and the doctor again said to me, <laughs> you can't do it. You've got a hernia. And I'm like, yeah, I can. I can run every day. Yeah. And I turned up. I, I, this is the crazy thing is I had no help. I ran a half marathon every day and went to work every day and coached people.
0: And saved lives.
1: And, and was still helping kids and got a kid off fentanyl while I was doing it. Fuck. I would just get up at four, go to meditate, raise money for this little girl, which I was helping pay for her doctor, run a half marathon, go home, cook breakfast for my son, do my stuff, go out and work all day, come home, be of service to my family, and then do what I do and I get up at four so my wife can sleep with the baby you know and get the baby up so. you're better
0: than Superman you're Mike Diamond
1: I just do it <laughs> like there's no excuses no I know what going to do that's what's
0: the most amazing thing so Mike has this incredible book that I just I don't first of all you're our first author on the show so this is oh. like very exciting for me awesome um, and I am sort of a reader but it really takes a lot for the interest in me to stick with a book um It's not even an ADD thing. It's just kind of my process. So it's called Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. It is, in the best way possible, an easy read. I did this in one day. I couldn't put it down. But I took some notes. Okay. so wait, hold on. And I never take notes, so this is like a big <laughs> this thing is for awesome. me. Okay. So my first question is, yeah. and I'm so fascinated by this because I come from um a line on my father's side of addiction. But I'm curious, because there are so many different things about this. Do you feel that, that you are born with addiction or do you think you are made to be an addict? And I'm gonna say in regards, I'm gonna use the specifics of alcohol. I, I just wanna use that. And there's no right answer or wrong answer. I just am so curious as someone who has been through so much and has been such a positive um, a positive spokesperson for sobriety. I just would be curious. Addiction is genetic.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you why. There, I believe that as well. So. There is people – I'll tell you why. It, it's a spiritual disease in the sense of it's not – I can put the drinking down. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I don't take hostages and fuck people up. Right. That's an addict. Does that make sense? Shit, that's the, me. <laughs> the energy. All right, all right. I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah. What human being runs a half marathon last year in May and then a year later runs 30 and 30 days? An addict.
0: hmm Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I, I, I get that. Totally. The
1: obset- I'm running next uh, in April- For addiction, and I'm talking to the Colitis Foundation, April next year I'm going to go, I'm going to do 30 days of talks, go through the colleges, Cool. and I'm going to run a marathon every day in 30 days to raise awareness for addiction and for colitis. Okay? I'm going to run a marathon every day. That's every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to a college. I'm going to book it. I'm going to do a talk. Then I'm going to get on their track and run a marathon with a cross-country team, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to run 30 marathons in 30 days. Why? And because, you've done it before. Right, but that's how my brain yeah, works. That's right. an addict. Now, if I take that energy, my energy as mm-hmm. an addict, mm-hmm. and I put it to good use, then people go, wow, he's, he's so extraordinary. Right? can do everything. But that's an addict. So the beautiful thing yeah. is this. Let's look at Robert Downey Jr. He was a crackhead. Mm-hmm. Now he's Iron Man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: He went from crackhead to superhero. Right, right. See the difference. Yeah. So it's what we. So addicts are born addicts. Mm -hmm. Now, whether you're a gambler, whether you're a sex addict, yeah. My thing was cocaine, alcohol. Mm -hmm. I just loved cocaine and alcohol, and I drank a lot, and I did a lot of cocaine Mm -hmm. with a lot of famous people, and owned bars, and.
0: But you also owned bars when you were sober too, which is just so yes cool to me.
1: Yeah. I, I well, you know what it was. It was like. I did it, when I was in New York, I did this crazy thing. So I was in, I fell into the club business and I was doing TV stuff and all that stuff. And I helped put together Miami Ink, the tattoo reality Mm -hmm. show and CBD GBs was kind of shutting down and there was nowhere to play. Mm -hmm. So what happened was I literally was like, I think I'm going to open a room where rock stars can play. Give them an experience, give people an experience. But I think I'm gonna make it a party. And everyone's like, It can't happen. So New York and even the Viper Room, what it was is you walk in, see a band like a comedy show and you leave. Yeah. So I was like, Hmm, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip that on their head. And everyone's like, You can't do it. So I said, What I'm gonna do is put on a DJ, play rock and roll music, put on a band, and then you have a party. So it's basically you you come to an event mm-hmm. and then it's a rock club. Nah, can't happen. Okay. So I became friends with Challenge Scott. Challenge
0: accepted. Right, exactly. Don't
1: tell me. <laughs> yeah. Like, it can't happen. Anything can happen if I do it. So I found this little Greek restaurant in New York City and I convinced the guy to give me the lease. And then I became friends with Scott Weil and Duff McKagan from mm-hmm. Velvet Revolver. Yeah. They'd form Velvet Revolver. And I convinced them to be my partners. And we built the place in 30 days and Velvet Revolver played the opening night. And then it was like... Oh, and then every celebrity and rock star played at the venue. It was called Snitch. It was a hole in the wall. Yeah, yeah. Right? So what I wanted to do is give people this experience mm-hmm. that when you came into a place, like, you're like, oh, my God. I mean, I had Corey Taylor from Slipknot Acoustic when he was never heard of. Cool. Yeah. I had, like, Corn Acoustic. Um, so I would do things that I, I just, because you know why? Because I never got that in Perth. No one ever went to Perth because it was in the middle of nowhere. So I wanted to give people an experience. But the great thing was this. So there was a bunch of sober dudes that would come to my parties or whatever. And then it was really what happened was what got me sober was I was was shooting a VH1 show with Scott Wyland, And he, you know, I could see his wife and kids like about to leave. Like it was like that. And, you know, we were partying hard, Mm -hmm. you know, we were, we weren't messing around and uh, I just looked at him and I looked at myself and I, and I had that moment and I just stepped back and I was like, okay, where am I going to be in 10 years from now? And I was like, I'm probably going to be dead. Yeah. So I literally that night, I was like, I'm done. And I called a friend of mine and I said, Hey, I think I'm going to get sober. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd, I'd got sober before when I was younger. I messed around, but this was like, I'm going to get sober. I'm done. I did a 180. So I just, that was it. I didn't even question it. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Wow. Didn't really, I was mm-hmm. like, I'm getting sober. That's it. And then what happened is a couple of years later, I mean, I moved to the West Coast, was doing stand up comedy, was in Vegas, opening places, helping them in the casinos. Someone said to me, hey, do you want to, like, do some interventions, sober coach people and travel around? And I'm like, yeah. And because I knew the musicians and I knew the actors.
0: And you knew how to handle it. I
1: them. know how to, you you know how to keep that life. People. And I got yeah. sober and I could own a bar. Like, right. I was 60 days sober and I could open a bar. I didn't have any problem with it. So I'm like, get to, you have to change you've got to change the way you look at things. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, can yeah. get it done. Now, if you want to get out of that, now I know people that got out of the bar business, became tennis coaches, whatever, they still drank. Because you know what I'm saying? You've got to make that decision. It's, I have to. You've got to hit a spiritual rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Now, ironically, I was detoxing someone in a uh, detox center mm-hmm. and Scott Weiland died. My 10 years sober, he was dead in the detox and center.
0: We, I think you told me um, at your panel, he was bipolar?
1: He was. Full-blown. Wow. Full-blown bipolar. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think that um, before I even knew that I was bipolar, I just knew what it was like growing up with an alcoholic father and and all that. And I think that that kind of scared me. And I didn't trust myself so much. And I was so on edge and so explosive that I knew if I started drinking, it would just be a downfall. And lucky for me, I have a glass of wine and I throw up. I'm such a lightweight. But I think that that's my body telling me, guess what? You're an addict and you're allergic to alcohol because that's what happens. Um, But I, 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 I it's just the most heartbreaking thing for me because I. I I can feel it and I can understand it, but I also can't understand when you are dealing with a mental illness, uh, such as bipolar. I'm not saying that addiction is not with with alcoholism, but specifically bipolar, and then numbing that with the alcohol and with the drugs and all this. I can't even fathom what that would feel like inside.
1: Well, I just think it's – in anything we do, like there's two methods I use – and i talk about one in the, the book called the stop method yeah. which is stop take a breath observe the disturbance then proceed creating the mm-hmm. gap and with negative thinking i use the thing to stamp out negative thoughts it's stop take a breath and then become aware of the thought mm-hmm. right and then you must make a switch right and then you proceed so it's like if i'm if i'm if i'm ruminating on stop we breathe now let's become aware of the rumination,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Now, whenever I'm doing something, there's a choice. There's always the yin and the yang, so I can either be have a positive perspective or a you know a negative or pessimistic perspective. So if I if I look at that right and say, okay, now I can make a choice of switching it. Now it may take me ten minutes to switch it. But if I go, no, I'm going to switch this. I've got to change my perspective. Yeah. Just having that conversation gives me some emotional intelligence. Right. Right. Because I'm having a conversation mm-hmm. and slowing down. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Because, you know, you go think, feel, and act. I think, I feel, act. Or something in the environment triggers an emotion. Right? Right. And then I act. Before thinking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when your emotions yeah. hijack you. Yeah. Because the primitive part of the brain, the amygdala, now you could drive down the freeway, someone cuts you off. <gasps> that's the emotion, right? Right. right Personally right. kill me. Right. So then you act on that emotion. Mm-hmm. What do you do? You chase them six Fuck blocks. You. <laughs> exactly. But you see what I'm saying? But now, 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 take this out. Now let's look at young men in our society, which lack massive emotional intelligence because a young man's brain. Doesn't really fully develop to he's about twenty-six. The prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex. So you're looking at a young man. Say he comes from a really, really rough, traumatic environment. Mm-hmm. So that firing and wiring all day, stress hormones. Maybe he's not as educated because if you've got a lot of trauma and you're not paying attention, the prefrontal cortex. We all know women uh, develop way quicker than men when that kind mm-hmm. of maturity. And then what happens? He goes out and look at the school shootings. It's men, right? Yeah. It's not young ladies. Yeah. Because why? Because we're in that primitive part of the brain of survival. And there's got to be a shift in consciousness right now that people have to understand that that everyone thinks it's like, let's go be physical. Let's go beat things up. Let's no. go break shit. No, no. There needs to be a shift in consciousness. We need to like start to look at young men and... And their lack of emotional intelligence. It's like you know, I I love Brene Brown. She talks about the power of vulnerability, people. But what guys are talking about vulnerability? What guys are talking about? It's okay to be sensitive. Everyone's like, let's just drive through the Mm -hmm. fucking wall. Mm -hmm. Let's beat the shit out of things. It's that's not healthy. It just, I gets think it's nowhere. really
0: uh, so. The kind of meditation that I do is the is actually TM. the same yeah. as my boyfriend. I do TM, yep. I do transcendental, and I, I actually didn't do it because of Sturgis. I did it because I was a fan of Jim Carrey and Howard Stern, and so they started talking about it. So it took, you know, three years for me to do it after being in this relationship um, because of them, and it's so. It's so interesting to me to see how they teach kids meditation in class.
1: They do mindfulness now. And they
0: do mindfulness. And it is so just – you can just see all the creative little minds and and they are just absorbing all of that just – Oh, it's just it's so wonderful. And I don't understand why that's not in every school. And I was lucky my mom was very big into meditation. It wasn't TM at the time. But but so when I was young. She would make me – I thought it was nap time, but it wasn't nap time. It was time to breathe and, and do our meditation, and it saved my life. It really saved my life, and I think that getting back to if we could do that for for boys out there, I think that so much could change. And it's not – excuse my word. It's not like a pussy thing to do, right? All. It's like a strong, empowering thing well, to be in touch what, with yourself.
1: What I try to do with young men – I actually worked in a lockdown facility okay. that I had to stay overnight in. And I've never had to put my hands on a young kid. Mm -hmm. Ever. Never. I talk to them. I just walk them or talk them. Because
0: that's what people want.
1: Yeah, I just, they're freaking out. I'm like, freak out. Let's go for a walk. Yeah. Like, I can take care of myself physically. I never have, they don't see me and go, I can push them around. I can take care of you myself. But I don't need to put my hands on you. So what I try to do is, I do a style of training. It's called MAP training, mental and physical, right? Mm -hmm. So, I know a young kid, is, especially a boy, is not going to sit and become mindful. I practice mindfulness, right? So what I do is I exercise them. I run them. I make them do martial arts.
0: To get the endorphins running? So what I do
1: is I spike the dopamine and the endorphins, Mm -hmm. and I take them really into a danger zone when I push them. So if I'm going to run them, I run them, right? And I get them to a point where they want to freak out, and then I stop them. And I get them breathing diaphragmatically and I get them out of that fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. And I get them into their prefrontal cortex and I get them breathing diaphragmatically correctly and slowing them down. Mm. And what happens is if I can break someone physically like that, like I run them like or I do – when I was in the, the detention center, I would exercise them so hard that at night they would never run. Like it was like a boot camp. I get them up at five.
0: Which is amazing. Yeah,
1: but they felt good and not one of them disrespected me. They did their homework. They made their beds because young men, you got to look at it. Look, they're impressed by physical strong, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to beat someone. You just have to talk to them and coach them and show them a better way to approach things. How about this, right? So you have two kids, right? Mm -hmm. And they're... Dad's taking care of the two boys, that the dad's divorced with the mum. The neighbor is making noise. They're in the you know, Harlem, and the dad's like quiet it down, the boys are trying to sleep, the guy goes F you, he gets a shotgun out, they get in an altercation, he kills the guy, kills the neighbor, the boys see it. Now, the two boys are separated. They're seven years old in the foster system. They're put into different homes, they're twins. Now, Seven years later, they check up on him. The one kid is just killing it, really smart, really academic, just killing it. The other kid, always in trouble, gets in a fight with another foster kid, stabs him to death. Okay. So now he's, now he's gone. He's, mm-hmm. he, we know where he's going. Mm-hmm. They fast forward another seven years, 21 and the one kid that's in jail, you know, he's doing multiple life sentences. He's a thug. And the other kid's, you know, off to an Ivy League college and he's, you know, doing great. And they interview them separately. And, um, though they say to the kid that's in jail, you know, why did you end up here? Like you're in jail. Why did you make these choices? And he says, do you know who my dad was? What choice did I have? And they're like, okay, Fair enough. So then they go and they find the other brother. These guys haven't spoken in years. And they said, Look, you've become a really big success, you know what I mean? And you're on your way, Ivy League, you know. You know, what what brought you? How did you manifest this? Do you know who my dad was? What choice did I have? Wow. Perception.
0: Yeah, it's all about perception. It's
1: all about resilience and everything that up into this moment is no coincidence. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at life like this. Like I always say to people, take eighty from your age. That's how many summers you've got left if you live to eighty.
0: I love when you said that in the right? book. I, That's I love that
1: reality. And what I'm trying to say it, is like, that hit me
0: in the gut. And I was so like, it's like oh my think
1: God. of how much time you're wasting on procrastinating about something you have no idea how it's going to turn no out. No control over. But if you just line yourself with purpose. Yeah. Right, that I say the seven Ps, purpose, a plan, priorities, the right people, be in the right places, persevere and be patient. Mm-hmm. So I always say to people, do you know the story about the bamboo tree? The perseverance of the bamboo trees, right? So you, have, you plant the seeds of the bamboo tree and then for five years you have to water and fertilize the ground now think about how many people the seed is the the dream right mm-hmm. and how many people will go down and pull the dream up or not water and not fertilize it and, and walk by you, walk by you and mm-hmm. say bamboo trees that's your dream all of a sudden after 5 years it sprouts when it sprouts it grows between 60 and 90 feet oh i know it's remarkable right in 6 weeks But if you don't do the first five years of work, what happens? So then you look at all these great entrepreneurs. So you look at, say, Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. He got thrown out of his own company, created Pixar, comes back and does all that stuff. Look at uh, Jeff Bezos at yeah, Amazon. That was
0: one of the examples that you said. Yeah, he's Mariana Huffington. Yes,
1: Huffington. Right? Like you want him? To... Ray Kroc didn't do the franchise till he was in his fifties. Yeah, do you see what I mean? We'd it's like... so
0: funny. My mom's inspiration when she was younger. Everyone always said, "Oh, what do you want to be like?" And she was a CEO of computer technology companies, and she like went against the odds of being the only woman that was being part of it and being pushed through and dealing with all this. And she said her inspiration, her whole life, she wanted to be Ray Kroc. She goes, "I want to have this. That one, that one thing that then becomes the franchise that everyone else will get to have a piece of. And that was her inspiration. And the, here we go. We're talking about right. it. Right. So know? the
1: thing is this. It's like I always look for a reference. Mm-hmm. So if I feel something in my gut, mm-hmm. like if I, if I have a – because what people don't understand when they talk – all right, I'll give you a perfect example. So we talked about the pineal gland, intuition, right. So think about this. When you want to travel somewhere – You grab out your Waze or your GPS Mm -hmm. and you type in, but you type in a specific address. Mm -hmm. You don't go to Waze, take me somewhere. Right. Because guess what? It won't take you anywhere. Right? So when you go to a restaurant, you specifically say, I want this. Mm -hmm. Right? So if I brought you wood and you're a carpenter and... I said, build me something. And you built a chair. And I'm like, you pissed me off. I wanted a table. You're like, well, you weren't specific. Right. So if I'm not specific about what I want, guess what? It won't happen. Right. And secondly, someone else will give me a plan. Then mm-hmm. I'll get pissed off. Mm-hmm. I don't like my job. Why are you in it? Yeah. I don't make, like my relationship. Why are you in it? Yeah. Leave. Well, no. There's why? There's no wells.
0: Why? Yeah, why?
1: Take responsibility for what you're doing in the moment. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Totally. And deal with reality in the fucking moment. So a human being like me is a smart dude and I create a GPS. Mm -hmm. And in that GPS, you type in stuff and that GPS then sends out a voice. that says, hey, go left, go right, go here, go there, right? Now, what we do is when we're in the car is we turn over everything to that GPS, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. So who created the person that created the GPS? An energy right source energy right why don't we ask that energy right for, for the guiding. ah yeah why aren't we specific right I want this or why don't we listen to it when it gives us information and follow and the, the, the crumbs signs. follow the crumbs to get to the cake
2: mm-hmm.
1: right mm-hmm. but we don't trust it we don't trust our intuition so when I go to the doctor, no, I'm good. He's like, no, no, you're not. You're going to die. I'm like, no, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. I'm like, you don't know me. I can figure this out. So the same doctor that says to me, you can't run 30 half marathons in 30 days, right? Cause you've got a hernia. And then the the next day, friends of mine are in Greece and one of the guys gets rushed to hospital eating lunch. He got a strangulated hernia. So the The chance of me getting a strangulator hernia running were very high, but I knew I was fine because I knew I would listen to my body mm-hmm. and be fine. Mm-hmm. And I ran the thirty around a hundred miles a week, did them all, and I was fine. And mm-hmm. someone said, "How'd you do it?" I said, "I listened to. I listen. I t- connect to my source, and I listen." Do you know what I mean? So
0: I I get it. If totally. you
1: connect to that stuff, then there's no coincidences. Everything lines up.
0: And it sounds so silly and almost stupid, but like everything that's meant to be is meant to be as Always. long as you put that GPS in.
1: You have to. But yeah. you have to be specific.
0: It's time to be specific, guys.
1: You've got to say, this is what I want. Now, yeah. here's a really important thing. Why do you want it?
0: Well, I know what I
1: want. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Now, another thing that gets us out of the situation and where we live in such scarcity instead of abundance Beautiful story. There's three guys working on a church, right? Mm-hmm. So they go to the one guy goes up to the one guy. What are you doing? And he says, "I'm a bricklayer. It's my job." He said, "Cool." Walks around, sees another guy, walks over to him. "I'm a bricklayer. It's my career." Cool. Walks over to the third guy. "What are you doing here?" "I'm a bricklayer. It's my calling."
0: You need to find your calling.
1: You need to find a calling. And that's not got nothing to do with anyone else. It's a personal journey inside. Mm -hmm. You go inside and you figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you close the gap. Mm -hmm. You say, what do I need to do? What skills do I need to acquire Mm -hmm. to be of service to everyone else? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone's like, I want this. I want that. No, 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 no. It's not about that. How can you serve another person? Mm -hmm. How can your calling help someone else find purpose?
0: This is so funny. So I always ask this question at, um, at the end of the interview, but we're, we don't even have to be end. I just, this is all ask falling it. through together. I always ask the question, what makes you get up in the morning and continue on your life? And I'm not going to answer it for you, but I think in a way that you have, it's finding your calling it's, it's, and I do how this. you can do service to someone else. I
1: like to inspire, educate, and motivate. Okay, so how can I inspire someone to be a better person? How can I educate them to help them become self-actualized and find their potential, right? And how can I motivate them? And I'm not going to be a guy. I'm not a guy that I don't have a PhD from Stanford. I'm a science project. So I like to read something and then apply it Mm -hmm. and then say to someone, this works. Do you know what I mean? If someone comes to me and they've got stomach issues, no problem. I can tell you what foods work for me. Try this, try that, try this. If someone wants to, you know, improve the athletic performance, I work on everyone's potential. They can reach their full potential if they get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. So I have to get into someone's head in a positive way and get all the bullshit out. Mm-hmm. And then I give them enough references to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's not about resources. It's about being resourceful. So I use everything. In, like, for example, I had to push the baby, you know, 1,200 miles to train. Great. You know how strong I'm going to be pushing a baby up hills in a stroller? Yeah. And then the course I ended up creating was an uphill course. Only six people could finish it. Wow. I ran 30 days because I was used to running uphills. Yeah. So my baby's not an inconvenience. I was doing pull-ups holding the baby, right? <laughs> His, that's Cute. how I – do you see what I mean? So I use yeah. – you've got to go. So then what I do is – if I feel stuck, I get out of myself. Mm-hmm. So that means I've got to read something. I've got to find a resource. I've got to go out. Because everyone gets stuck. You get stuck if you're sitting in a cocoon. Mm-hmm. you got to get out of that. So there was a great guy called Emil Zeperpek. Emil Zeperpek was one of the greatest runners in the world that no one knew about. He won, it broke 18 world records. You talk about
0: in this book, yeah, right? in the book, right? Yeah, in the book.
1: So what Emil did is he was in some area near Moscow and he wanted to run... The 5,000, 10,000 adventure running the marathon. So he had to qualify for the race. He had to ride during the night, 220 miles in the snow to show up to qualify for a run, a 10,000 meter run, and he wins and makes the Olympics. He's never run a marathon. It's so cold where he lives. He has no trainer. He puts towels in his bathtub creates like a little treadmill and runs in the bathtub for four hours, right? Then he rides his bikes with weights on his legs and runs with weights, shows up to the Olympics, a true story, comes up against the British world champion. He takes off. He doesn't have a great style and he's running against the British world champion. And he says to the British world champion, Hey, are we running fast enough? And the guy goes, no. So he takes off thinking, I've got to run faster. He ends up breaking a world record. They interview the British world champion afterwards, and they say to him, "What happened?" He goes, "Dude, I was joking. I thought <gasps> he, would, I thought he would like get a cramp and conk out, and he ended up breaking a world record." Wow! So it's the point of like going to and looking at people, right? That have limited resources yeah. and looking at how they create stuff, yeah. and that's why people are looking. I train in my house, right? I created that so my wife would get to the gym when I had the baby premature. Mm -hmm. I push the baby in stroller. I get all these baby carriages for free. I (laughs) do pull-ups with him. I've probably, I've spent more time in, my son will be two years in a couple of weeks. I've spent more time with him in two years than my dad spent with me with 20 years. Wow. Do you know what I mean? That's how, and I will model, it's not do as I say, right? No, it's do as I do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: I, I, Lead listen, by example. Everything that you are saying, I completely agree with. And I, I'm i so honored and so happy that you came on the oh, show. Because it, it kind of is just such a surprise and so bizarre how this all happened. and But it's not that bizarre, right? Because everything happens for a reason. But I think that there are so many key points that I have myself tried to um, get the point across to people. And there's only so much that I can do to help others, right? If there's one little snippet of something that I've said that has saved someone's life, that's all that matters. And I think that you have touched on so many different topics and how to deal with life and how to further and better yourself as a human being, not only for yourself but others around you, that I think you are going to be so surprised by all of the people that are going to be writing you. And it's just like so Well, you know what it is?
1: Why do we have to – I always look like this, right? So – if the greatest thinkers of our time, when you look at Marcus Aurelius or, you know, it's a perfect example. My gra- my step, uh, I'm sorry, my stepfather, um, not stepfather, my father-in-law mm-hmm. is an engineer. And, you know, I asked him about like, because I love ancient Rome. And he said, no, that stuff is like beyond how the way they created it mm. with no schooling. They just figured it out. And so say, like, let's, let's look at, say, the Colosseum.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was designed in, they built it in seven years. It has the perfect amount of bathrooms. It has the perfect amount of exits if there was any kind of uh, riot. Mm-hmm. And it was structurally built so well that it still stands 2,500, whatever, right, to, right years later. So if I wanted to, uh, say, ancient Rome or the Pantheon, I couldn't bullshit my way into a job there. Mm-mm. and say, oh, I'm an engineer. Right. Because whoever the emperor was would kill you. Right. So you had to know your calling. Because mm-hmm. if you were good at that...
0: Yeah.
1: Now, I wouldn't have been an engineer because I'm just lacing stuff at maths. I would probably have done something in entertainment. In, right. If it was the. You, know what I mean? you would
0: have provided or, the entertainment I would have provided entertainment
1: <laughs> or doing something. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or yeah. being a motivator. I may have been a gladiator because I'm yeah. a physical guy. But my point is that back then... You had to know what you were good at. Mm-hmm. Now, all the all modern psychiatry comes from that stoic thinking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So then you go to school, and it's all secret. Let's go and get a PhD and all these things. And all of a sudden, I've watched people do talks, and I'm like, this person doesn't do any of it. You just a, you're just a fucking puppet. <laughs>
0: yes. Do you know what
1: I'm saying? Like.
0: That is Be why it was so great real. watching you Be speak real. about it because you were fucking real.
1: Right. Just do the work. And, if, and, and one guy said to me one day, is like, oh, yeah, but you seem like an angry dude. I'm like, that's why I meditate twice a day, yeah. dickhead, so yeah. I don't chase you down the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. No one has the formula. No you one's do, perfect. No. You were all well, – look, it's a spirit where spirit's having a human experience. Yeah. We're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. That's it. You know what I mean? And then – I even challenge some of the guys that say only 2% of people become self-actualized. Why is that? Why can't a person find their full Mm -hmm. full potential? They can if they do the work. Mm -hmm. But that means you've got to do a lot of work. And it's not, I leave here and or I, whatever I do, that's done. Mm -hmm. It's moment by moment. Mm -hmm. You have to do the work in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love being an addict because I'm from a guy that, Barely barely got through school. I can read a book a week and retain most of the stuff because right. I've had to teach myself to
0: how to do it.
1: How to do it. And secondly, when I do it, I make sure I I practice it and I can articulate it that it becomes part of my life mm-hmm. that I do it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I don't just say, yeah, do it. I'm like, no. That's why when I originally wrote the book, it was 300 pages. And I said to my publisher, I'm going to make it 150 so anyone can read it. She's like, what? I said, I'm going to strip it down to 150. And I went back in and I stripped it down as if I was. And what I did is I actually, when I wrote it, So I wrote 300 pages and then I started doing talks and I literally would talk as if I was talking straight out of the book. Mm -hmm. So I got the rhythm of my speaking Mm -hmm. into the pages. Mm -hmm. So I wanted someone to pick it up like a conversation. Mm -hmm. So a young kid that doesn't want to read because he's on social media apps no, all day. No, because you can
0: read it like it's conversation. He'll pick it up. He goes,
1: it's thin. I could read this. You're like,
0: oh, okay. I can do this right, right now. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? So that's how, that's well, why, yeah.
0: we're going to put the link out for this. Thank you. And it's called Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. I highly recommend it. I'm not just saying this right now because...
1: Because I'm here. <laughs> it's, not the, it's
0: not just because you're here. I mean, maybe you're here and I'm afraid you're going to kick my ass. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's now I'm a
1: woman beater. Do. What the hell? <laughs> all this talk about... Emotional no, but intelligence. honestly, I
0: really want people to read this book. I want people to write you and tell them what That's your so favorite sweet. stuff is. And I really, like, I just want to share every single time that you come to speak. And I'd love to have you on here again. Of so course. Because I have a million different things that I want to talk about. But That's I'm right. like, oh, no, I know what time this is. Uh, right. Thank you so much, Mike Diamond.
2: support.